Hello, I'm Daniel. This is my podcast, Sharpening the Mind. I am a meditation teacher and also a labor activist in Kansas City, Missouri. I teach classes in meditation and Buddhism at the Rime Buddhist Center, as well as a few other places. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Hello, I'm Daniel. I am going to give a talk from the text Way of the Bodhisattva today. And today the chapter I'm talking about is chapter 5, which in this version is called Guarding Awareness. Guarding Awareness. And sometimes it's called, in another text I have, it's called Vigilant Introspection, which is it feels kind of different, but it's the same thing. It's we want to be examining our thoughts and actions to make sure we're making the best choices. And something to bring up at the outset is no one knows the contents of your mind better than you. So if you are, say, giving into your temptations all the time, you know when you're making excuses for yourself. And sometimes we have often, maybe we do that and we don't want to face it. But the truth is we know when we're making excuses for ourselves and other people may think they know, but they don't really. We, we are the ones who know what's going on in our own minds for better or worse. So guarding awareness, what is this is about? What is this about? Um, people like to take this chapter and a few of the ones around it and relate them to the six perfections. And if that's the case, this would be the perfection of the perfection of um, discipline or also called the protection of virtue. And it is just making the right choices. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about making the right choices. So we have to have the awareness to know what the right choice is. We have to have the awareness to know what the right choice is. Discipline means the right behavior. So not giving into temptations all the time, not stepping on other people, not harming others, not harming ourselves too. And um, I want to, again, before we go into the, the text, um, we're going to talk about the word mindfulness here. And in this context, it means recollection. Mindfulness means recollection. And that means just remembering to pay attention. And remembering remembering our vows and our commitments, even when we don't want to. It's just keeping these things that these things that are important, it's keeping them in mind. So that's why the word recollection could could be used here. But the text uses mindfulness, which could mean different things to different people. But in this context, it means remembering to do the right thing. Remembering to do the right thing. Don't forget. Don't forget. Virtue is very important. Controlling yourself is very important for your well-being. Controlling your thoughts and actions. It's very important for your well-being. And it's something that's easy for us to forget. It's easy for us to forget. So, this is the chapter called Guarding Awareness. 
And again, this is chapter five in Way of the Bodhisattva. It's kind of a long one. <clears throat> All those who wish to keep the precepts should concentrate and guard their minds. If you do not protect your mind, you won't be able to keep the precepts. So the precepts are vows we take to be a good person, essentially. To try our best to help others and to control our minds. And so he's saying, it. I mean, we have to think, we have to be reflective, we have to be mindful. You can take all the vows in the world, but if you don't reflect on how to keep those, if you don't have that in mind, then you may just slide around. Things may just happen and you won't be able to keep the precepts because you won't be thinking about it. Oh, I made a vow not to kill and I just killed an animal probably, right? That sort of thing. And next we've got some metaphors. So here we go. An untamed elephant amok does not create as much harm here as letting the elephant of mind run loose will cause in the incessant. The incessant is a word for like a hell realm, okay? Um, which can be a, st a state of mind. That is, if your mind is running wild like an elephant, that's harmful to you. The elephant of mind tied tight with ropes of mindfulness all around, all dangers will amount to naught. All virtues will come into your hands. All tigers, lions, elephants, bears, snakes, and enemies, the keepers of the beings in hell, the dakinis and rakshasas, um, those are like mythical spirits. Dakinis, generally dakinis are good, rakshasas are bad. So like you could think angels and demons if you want. By binding just this mind alone, all of these will be bound. By taming just the mind alone, all of these will be tamed. So... Um, he's making it really big and heavy there, but I think he's saying like, no one can, no one can make you hate yourself without your permission. You know, um, we let harm come to us by say when people are mean, for example, and we just obsess about it and that's not good for us. That's not good for anyone. And that is what he's sort of talking about here. He's not. I don't think he's trying to convey literally that if you're really mindful and aware, a bear will not attack you. A bear still could attack you. But um, if we think like of the things that hurt our feelings, um, if we think of a person cutting us off in traffic or a person not meeting an expectation we have placed upon them, well, those are ways our minds harm us actually. Our, your mind is harming you if someone cuts you off in traffic and you get mad assuming that there was no accident. If there was an accident, well, then maybe the argument could be made the person harmed you. But if you just get mad and nothing happens, well, that's you, you're doing that to yourself. That is something we don't really want to face. That's a hard thing to come to terms with. But the truth is, you're doing that to yourself. You're doing that to yourself. And the, the same thing, if you have expectations for someone else meeting an obligation or taking care of something that you want them to take care of and then you get upset we are you're harming yourself you're harming yourself i mean think twice about your dealings with them in the future but if you just carry that around as emotional baggage you're harming yourself suffering comes from, from within and that is uh further discussed in the next few verses <laughs> 
For he who spoke the truth has taught that everything we fear and sufferings beyond all measure originate from mind. Who is it that specifically made the weapons of the hells? Who made the ground of burning iron? Whence came the lo- whence come the lovers of hell? The sage has said that all of these arise from wicked thoughts. Therefore, there is in the three worlds no danger other than mind. So, in a Buddhist context, um, some this can be taken either literally or metaphorically, but it's just you create your own hell. So, in a Buddhist context, in the in the literal version, it is if you are if you do lots of wicked things and you die, you're born in a realm that is bad. You have a next life in a realm that is bad. And so he makes the claim, well, you're, you're sort of creating that because it's based on your choices. And we can easily take that figuratively because we do a lot of harm to ourselves in our lives, right? We make bad choices and sometimes things get ruined and we can't fix them. Um, like relationships or jobs or friendships or communities, right? So in that sense, we we create our own hell, but we don't have to go anywhere. It's here. And we do that by making bad choices. And the truth is that if we make good choices, we're going to have better outcomes in our lives a lot of the time. A lot of the time. But um, the bright side is uh, suffering comes from our minds, but Good qualities come from within us too. Virtue comes from within us. And that's what's going to be discussed in the next part. (laughs) If ridding the world of poverty made generosity transcendent, there are still paupers. So how could the past protectors have transcended? The wish to give all your belongings and results to everyone is taught to be transcendent giving. And therefore that is mind itself. And where could fish, etc., be sent where they would not be killed. Disciplines taught to be transcendent from gaining the intent to abstain. How could one kill belligerent beings who are as infinite as space vanquishing this one angry mind is like defeating all those foes? How will there be sufficient... How could there be? I'm sorry. How could there be sufficient leather to cover the earth entirely? With just the leather for my souls, it is as if the whole earth is covered. So that's a line that gets quoted a lot from this. Um, So it's sort of like we can choose to guard our minds and train our minds to try to live more virtuously and get more joy and well-being out of life. Or we can just try to make the world fit what we think it should fit all the time and not train our minds at all. But just just try to make the world fit what, the way we want it to be. Um, and I think the truth is we should be trying to do both. Um, and that is compared to, you know, um, seeing lots of rocks on the ground and making the choice uh, either I'm going to cover the whole ground with leather so it can't hurt my feet, or I'm just going to put on shoes, right? We put on the shoes. We don't think of shoes as something that got invented at some point, but of course they are, right? So 
That's what that means. How could there be sufficient leather to cover the earth entirely? With just the leather for my souls, it's as if the whole earth's covered, right? We just need to wear shoes. We just need to train our minds, and that will take us very far, okay? <clears throat> Likewise, although I am unable to keep external things at bay, I'll keep this mind of mine in check. What need to ward off anything else? Even with body and speech, results of feeble contact are not like the fruit of rousing one clear thought. Rebirth in such as Brahma's realm. So uh, he's saying, and Br Brahma's realm, you don't, you don't need to know that, but it's like being reborn in a good place is the essential meaning. But he's saying, like, if we just meditate, that is... If we just meditate and just have one clear thought, that brings enormous benefit. That brings enormous benefit. Just just thinking clearly for one thought brings a lot of benefit to us. So, and maybe that can help when we think our meditation's going nowhere. And, you know, we think, oh, my mind is too frantic. This is really not doing anything for me. Well, no, just if you just have one thought that has clarity... That improves your well-being. Just one. Just one. We don't have to have clarity the whole time we're sitting in meditation. Just one thought contributes to our well-being. <laughs> no matter how long they are practiced, all liturgies and austerities are futile, said the knower of suchness, if something else distracts the mind. Those who don't know this secret of mind, the sublime paramount of dharmas, want to gain joy and end suffering, but wander to no avail or end. So he's saying, like, if we're not practicing meditation and cultivating virtue, we're just going to be unhappy. We're just going to be unhappy in life. Thus, I will grasp and protect well this mind of mine. This discipline of guarding mind aside, why bother with multifarious disciplines? So he says, well, I'm going to, I'm going to train my mind. I'm going to make friends with my mind. I'm going to take control. Like those who in a boisterous crowd concentrate and take care of their wounds, those in the crowds of evil people should always guard the wound of mind. Um, be especially mindful if you're around evil people. Um, if you're in chaotic situations, if you're in situations where you think harm could come to you, obviously be especially mindful. If you're careful of a wound from fear of its slight minor pain, why not protect the wound of mine from fear of crushing mountains in hell? Living by conduct such as this, a steadfast monk who keeps his vows, whether in crowds of evil people or among women, will not fall. Um, we are going to talk about women really soon in this in this chapter. So um, there's some men and women issues discussed here, and we are going to talk about those very soon. But that, whether in crowds of evil people or among women, he will not fail. Um, that We're going to address that. I promise. It would be better to lose my things, life, limbs, respect, or livelihood, better than other virtues lapse, lapse than ever my intent diminish. So the most important thing he's saying is to have this intention, this great intention to awaken, to make the world a better place, to be more mindful and aware and compassionate 
the the bodhisattva intention is more important than anything. I join my palms in prayer and urge all those who wish to guard their minds. With all your efforts, please protect your mindfulness and awareness. And so going forward, and he's praying for us to be more mindful and aware, right? Um, that's pretty self-explanatory. But what comes next is sort of a list of reasons why. List of reasons why, okay? So, and there's sort of some more metaphors here too. People who are beset by illness have no strength to do anything. And minds beset by ignorance have no strength to do anything. Even if those who lack awareness should listen, ponder, or meditate, it won't stay in their memory like water in a leaky jar. Due to the fault of non-awareness, many of those with learning, faith, and dedicated perseverance will be polluted by the downfalls. The robbers that are a lack of awareness follow the weakened mindfulness and will seize the merits you have gathered while you go to the lower realms. This gang of bandits, the afflictions, are seeking opportunities. Given a chance, they'll plunder virtue and slaughter life in higher realms. Um, so the, this is um, metaphorical. Uh, there aren't literal bandits coming to steal your virtue. But what he's talking about with the afflictions, he's talking about the things that get in our way. The Sometimes the, um, the three poisons description is given. It's greed, hatred, and delusion. It is... Um, our obsession with having what we want, our obsession with getting rid of what we don't want, and then the lack of clarity to really know the difference. Lack of clarity to really know the difference. Greed, hatred, and delusion. Um, different words are used to describe those things, but that um, that's the version I like. Greed, hatred, and delusion. Some people say attachment, aversion, and ignorance, and it's the same thing. It's the same list, the afflictions. And he's saying that, like, these will get in the way of your vows. So we have to have a really aware and mindful attention so that we know when that's going to happen. And then hopefully we can, you know, take steps to stop it. Or at least being aware of it is empowering. Just just the act of being aware of it is something, okay? Thus, never let your mindfulness stray from the gateway to your mind. And if it goes, recall the pains of the lower realms to bring it back. From keeping company with a master, instruction from the abbot, and fear, those who have fortune and respect develop mindfulness easily. The Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas see everywhere without obstruction. Therefore, I always am indeed within the presence of them all. Thinking thus conscientiously, respectfully, and fearfully, the recollection of the Buddha will then arise repeatedly. When mindfulness is stationed there to guard the gateway to the mind, awareness will then also come and return if it has departed. In every moment, first of all, I must know if my mind is tainted, and at that time I must be able to hold still like a block of wood. So he's, I'm holding still like a block of wood. He's saying, Meditation practice, I've got to be able to meditate when I know that my mind needs it, which is a lot of the time, actually. And so um, what follows is a little bit of something that looks a little bit like meditation instructions. 
I'll never allow myself to look around in purposeless distraction. With with my mind focused, I'll instead look always with my gaze cast down. But sometimes I might glance about to rest my eyes when they're fatigued. If someone should come into sight, I'll look at them and say, Hello! To know the perils on the road, I'll look in the four directions often. Pausing, I will turn around before I look behind myself. So he's just like giving general life tips, right? Uh, Look both ways before you cross the street, right? Having thus looked ahead and behind, I'll then proceed or else return. In every situation, I will act knowing the necessity. Beginning endeavors with the thought, with body, I will stay like this. I'll then occasionally examine, how is my body situated? With all my efforts, I must check that the crazed elephant of mind has not slipped loose from being tied to the great posts of thoughts of the Dharma. Exerting myself in samadhi, I shall examine my own mind by thinking, what is my mind doing? To not lose it for even a moment. Um, Samadhi is just like awakened awareness. Um, That's the simple, simple, simple definition. Um, So he's saying, and this is sort of a meditation instruction for a certain style of meditation. I call it open awareness meditation. It can be called um, Zazen or Zogchen. And it is just sitting there, just noticing what your mind is doing, not having a focus of your meditation practice, but just noticing what your mind is doing. If due to danger, feasts and such, you cannot do what's easiest, it's taught that in a time of giving, you may ignore some discipline. You may ignore some discipline. So um, what he's talking about here, um, and I don't know if he'll go into this more, but just these are not commandments also. Um, so they are sort of suggestions, peer-reviewed suggestions that we know are beneficial. So, for example, we can take a vow to be honest and to tell the truth, but, you know, you could be in a situation... Um, <laughs> The heaviest possible example of this is the people who were hiding Anne Frank and her family in their attic. And, you know, Nazis came looking around and they said, no, there's no people here, right? They lied. They broke. Um, if they had taken the vow to be honest, they would have broken it because they lied. But, like, you know, that's okay, right? You You should lie in that situation. So... Uh, that being said, though, we don't want to take this and think, oh, well, I can make excuses to to turn my back on virtue whenever I feel like it then. We don't want to think that way. And we don't want to think like, oh, well, I can make excuses to skip my meditation practice either. Um, we're really good at making excuses. So that that's true. But you just think of something as heavy as people hiding and Frank in their house, right? That that is what I want you to think of as things that would maybe make it okay to break a vow. Um, so here's some general life advice we're going to go through. And I think these are good tips. There's a couple um, in the future in this that I'm going to be like, well, I don't know why this one, but but most of these are good tips, like looking both ways before you cross the street. 
Once you've considered and begun a task, don't think of anything else. Focusing your attention there, you should accomplish that one first. Um, in the modern world, we really think we can multitask, and I don't think, I think studies have been done that show that like you don't do a good job if you're trying to do two things at the same time. So he's saying don't multitask, right? If you do this, all is done well. Otherwise, neither will get done. In this way, you will not increase the near affliction non-awareness. If you engage in idle chat or in amazing spectacles of various and different kinds, give up your eagerness for them. If you should dig the ground, cut plants, or draw in dirt without a purpose, recall the words of the Sugata, and at that moment stop from fear. Don't dig in the ground for no reason. Um, I sort of think this was ancient times, and they didn't have the amounts of entertainment that we have today, so maybe some people, when they were super bored, would just go dig in the ground. <clears throat> Whenever you have a wish to move or else you feel a wish to speak, examine your mind first and then be firm in acting properly. Don't just react. Think about what you're going to say. Think about what you're going to do before you do it. That's good advice. A lot of the time we're on autopilot and we don't reflect on what we're doing at all. At the times when my mind feels the lust of greed or else the urge of anger, I must not act and must not speak. I'll hold still like a block of wood. Don't give in to that stuff. Try, try to resist. When I'm excited or else gleeful, when I feel pride or arrogance, when I thought, when I have the thought to dig up faults, revive disputes, or be deceitful, at times when I'm intent on boasting or being disparaging of others, when I'm abusive or contentious, I'll hold still like a block of wood. So that's sort of like, don't gossip. Don't tell people you're better than them. Don't like, don't be condescending, right? All these things that we sometimes have a tendency to do. When I want gains, respect, and fame, or long for a cortege of servants, when my mind wants that I be served, I'll hold still like a block of wood. I wish to give up on others' wheel and seek out my own benefits, a yen for talk. If these arise, I'll hold still like a block of wood. And when impatience, laziness, fear, impudence, or garrulousness, or bias toward my own arises, I will hold still like a block of wood. Thus noticing when their mind becomes afflicted or occupied pointlessly, the heroes use the antidotes to keep it firmly in control. I like this next part. I will be resolute, full of faith, steady, respectful, courteous, conscientious, fearful, calm, and dedicated to pleasing others. Resolute, full of faith, steady, respectful, courteous, conscientious, fearful, calm, and dedicated to pleasing others. Yeah, I really, um, I really like that. Those are all good things. I won't despair at the wishes of the childish who don't get along. I will be loving, thinking that such thoughts are due to the afflictions. So... What is that? That is like, don't, maybe don't worry so much about what other people are doing. That's kind of the first step in don't gossip. It's don't, don't worry about what other people are doing. Just, just pay attention to what you're doing. Um, unless they're directly harming you or, I mean, I guess harming others as well. But other than that, like we get obsessed about what other people are doing, right? And we shouldn't.
directed by myself and beings toward things that are irre- irreproachable, I'll always keep my mind held fast without a me, like an emanation. Over and over again, I'll think how after so long I have found the greatest leisure and keep my mind unshakable as Mount Sumeru. Just think uh, unshakable like a mountain. If mind, you will not be distressed when vultures lusting for its meat together tear the body apart. Why do you cherish it so now? So he's now making the argument like we're obsessed with our body and our pleasures and why our body's gross and weird and fleeting, but we're obsessed with it. Like it's going to last forever and like it's going to bring lasting joy to us if we fulfill its desires, which is not true. It'll bring temporary joy, right? So he's sort of lamenting the way we are, the way we are obsessed with our bodily desires. Oh, mind, why is it that you grasp this body as yours and guard it so? If you and it are separate, then what good does it do for you? Deluded mind, why don't you cling to a clean wooden figurine? How is it sensible to protect this festering machine of filth? It's gross. So he's giving... um, advice now on how we can not be so attached to our body. And this is really um, descriptive and kind of gross. And that's what's going to come next. First, with your intellect, dissect and separate the layers of skin. Dissever with the blade of prajna, the flesh apart from the cage of bones. Prajna is wisdom. It's higher, deeper wisdom. Then chop apart the bones as well, look in as far as to the marrow, and analyze it for yourself. What essence does it have? If even searching with such effort, you don't see it in any essence, why is it then that you still protect this body in such an attached manner? So if we think and reflect really hard on the question, who am I? Um, this is sort of um, exemplifies that. We don't know. And we so we can think of like, it's gross, but we can think of like digging in our body and pulling apart parts of our body, and you're not going to find you in there anywhere. It's filth is not fit for you to eat. Your body, your body. It's filth is not fit for you to eat, nor is its blood fit to drink either. Its entrails are unfit to suck, so what does the body do for you? It's really gross. Instead, it's logical if... It be kept as food for jackals and for vultures. The bodies of all human beings are merely something to be used. We're really attached to our bodies, but he's saying like, it's just something to be used. It's just a thing that's you're using uh, like a car or scissors or a computer, whatever. It's just something you're using. It's not something to be so caught up in. Even though you protect it so, when the merciless lord of death takes it to to give to birds and dogs, will there be anything you can do? That um, lord of death thing, that's the same thing as if the, he said the Grim Reaper. Um, you know, it's something we, we personify things in our culture too. It's not that weird. If you do not give clothes and such to servants who can't be employed, why tire yourself to keep this body that will, though fed, go somewhere else? Now that you've given it a wage, put it to work for your own sake. Do not give everything to it if there's not any benefit. So don't just indulge in what you desire all the time. 
Um, there are ways that can get you in trouble. Think of this body as a boat, a mere support for coming and going. Make it so it fulfills your wish to benefit all sentient beings. In such a way, be self-controlled and always have a smiling face. Abandon glowering brow brows and scowls. Be friendly to beings and straightforward. I like that verse a lot too, and I'm going to read it again. In such a way, be self-controlled and always have a smiling face. Abandon glowering brows and scowls. Be friendly to beings and straightforward. Try to be a friend of everyone. Try to be pleasant to talk to all the time. That's what he's saying. Do not shove chairs and such about impetuously and noisily. Don't violently open doors. Always delight in being quiet. Just move through the world quietly. Don't burst in, right? I have a habit of bursting into rooms, I think. Um, and I shouldn't do that. Be light on your feet, you know? Move through the world quietly. Cranes, cats, and burglars move around in silence unobtrusively to achieve the ends that they desire. The sages always behave likewise. Ever a student of everyone, respectfully accept advice that's helpful or unsolicited from those skilled in advising others. Be willing to be corrected. To all those who have spoken well, say, you have spoken virtuously. When you see someone perform merit, make them feel glad by praising them. Speak of good qualities discreetly. Repeat them when they're spoken of. When someone speaks of your good traits, understand they know qualities. All efforts are for happiness's sake, but even bought with wealth, it's rare. So I'll enjoy the pleasure of delight in the good that others do. Um, if we can, there's this concept called sympathetic joy, and it's just that if we can take joy, if we can truly be happy for the success of others, well, then our happiness is unlimited, right? And that's sort of, I'll enjoy the pleasure of delight and the good that others do. That's sort of what we're talking about here. For me, there will be no loss here. And in the next, great happiness. Wrongdoing brings gloom and suffering. And in the next, great miseries. When talking, you should speak sincerely, coherently, clearly, pleasantly, without attachment or aversion, gently, and in moderation. When you look at a sentient being, think that it's only due to them that you'll awaken to Buddhahood and look sincerely, lovingly. No one gets left out of our hearts in this path, and that can be a hard thing at times, but no one left, gets left out of our hearts. Inspired continuously by yearning or by the antidotes, great virtues are found in the fields of qualities, of benefit and of suffering. Both skillfully and cheerfully, I'll always do my tasks myself. I won't, in any of my actions, be dependent on anyone. Don't wait for others to do good deeds. Do them. Transcendent giving and so forth. Progress, each greater than the last. Don't drop the greater for the lesser. Think mainly of others' benefit. Realizing this, continually make efforts for the sake of others. The merciful, far-seeing one allows for them what was forbidden. Sharing with those who have fallen low the unprotected and ascetics eat moderately give away all except the three dharma robes um so to be very clear he's talking to monks here and he's telling them to give away everything we are not monks we are we are lay people we don't give away all our possessions but at the same time we don't need to collect more than we need we can give to the needy as well um don't be a hoarder i think shanti deva would say <clears throat> For minor ends, don't harm this body, that is for practicing true dharma. By doing so, you'll soon fulfill the wishes of all sentient beings. 
Unless your compassion and intent is pure, don't sacrifice your body, but give it as a cause to achieve great aims in this and in the next. So he's saying, don't be so giving that you harm yourself. Don't empty your cup to fill another person's cup. Give, but um, be aware of what you're doing and don't, don't overdo it. Dharma should not be taught to those who lack respect, who, though not sick, wear turbans or hold parasols or stabs or weapons or veil their heads. Um, don't teach the lesser, the vast and deep, or women unless a man is present. Approach with equal reverence, foundational and higher dharmas. So I really want to talk about that. Don't teach unless a man is present. Um, I first read that and I thought, oh my gosh, was Shantideva being sexist? Um, some of these old Buddhist texts do have that undercurrent. I like to say that um, as far as gender um, equality of the ancient religions, Buddhism probably has the best record, but it's a low bar. It's a low bar. Um, so what's he talking about here? Don't teach a woman unless a man is present. I think the message is Shanti David knew the things we know now about gender and power dynamics. So he's speaking to a group of men and he's saying, don't be alone with a woman to teach her. Don't be alone with a woman to teach her, which is a lesson that people know now. Um, so it's kind of far seeing that he held that view that a male monk should not be alone with a woman. Um, and that's not to say that obviously misconduct will always occur if a man is alone with a woman, but it is to say like, let's just, let's just make that impossible, right? Let's just, let's just make sure that, that this incredibly harmful potential thing cannot possibly happen. Okay. So he says to these group of men, like, don't, don't, be alone with a woman and teach her because probably nothing will happen, but it's better to be totally sure nothing can, right? So that is my opinion of what he's talking about here. So when he says, don't be alone with a woman, don't, don't, oh, let me read the exact word instead of just doing what I'm doing. Don't, oh, don't teach the lesser, the vast and deep or women unless a man is present. Don't teach a woman unless a man is present, right? He's, he's, that's a warning to not be alone with women because of the things we know now about power dynamics and imbalances and just things that can happen. He's saying, we're just going to avoid that. Don't be alone with a woman. And that's not, again, that's not on the women to do anything. He's telling these men, hey. Hey, don't, don't do it, right? So it's, it's on the men to make sure that they're avoiding situations where potential problems could arise. Just totally avoid it if you can. Um, and that could be pretty good advice. It's, it's certainly is forward thinking for the time. If my interpretation's right. 
don't introduce a lesser dharma to those who are vessels for the vast. Also, do not disregard conduct or lead astray with sutras and mantras. So he's talking to these monks who are some of them going to be teachers, and he's just telling them, and we don't really maybe need to know this, uh, but he's telling them, like, you need to give the right teaching to the right person. Okay? Cover it up, and then he goes back to regular, ordinary things. Cover it up when you discard a tooth stick or else when you spit. It is disgraceful to urinate and such on usable land and water. Man, that's good advice, right? A tooth stick, uh, that's just um, homemade toothbrushes. I think it's more the stick like, anyway. Um, we're lucky we have toothbrushes and toothpaste in the world today. So, um, like, don't just throw your tooth stick on the ground. Don't just urinate on usable land and water. That's good advice. And it's sort of, it's weird to think people needed to be told that, but there was a time in history when people needed to be told that. When eating, do not cram your food, eat noisily or open mouth. Do not sit with your legs stretched out. Don't rub both arms at the same time. I'm not sure about the arm thing. Um, I, but you know, this is, this is good advice to just don't eat with your mouth open, right? Don't be alone with another's spouse on rides, beds, seats, or other places. Observe, inquire, and then give up. All that makes people lose their faith. So that's that's um, just the, the woman thing again, really. But it's just, yeah, you don't need to be alone with a married woman. Um, he's giving the monks the advice not to do that because, again, problems could happen. And also, I wanted to also add, because I didn't mention this earlier, um, because they're these monks are being being instructed to avoid situations like that. It also means they can't be falsely accused, which is a thing that happens sometimes historically. They can't be falsely accused, or it's rather a lot harder to falsely accuse them if they're never alone with someone else's spouse, right? It's a lot harder to accuse them. So in that way, if you avoid situations where you could be accused of something, then you're kind of um, helping yourself be above reproach, I think. Don't point at anything with one finger. Instead, use your entire right hand to gesture in a respectful way, showing the path in such a manner. I have heard, um, I feel like we hear that sometimes. It's rude to point, right? Shanti Davis saying, it's rude to point. Don't point. Gesture. Gesture with your right hand instead. Um, it's sort of, it's a little weird that he's made this an important aspect of Bodhisattva teachings, but this is sort of just to hold ourselves to a higher standard is what we're talking about here, really. Hold yourself to a higher standard and you'll leave a good impression with the people you meet. To give a signal, do not wave your entire arm. Just move it slightly and make a noise, such as by snapping. Otherwise, it is unrestrained. Like the protector at Nirvana, lie down in your preferred direction, and from the outset, with awareness, resolve that you will get up promptly. So he's telling the monks, don't linger in bed. Get up, get up and get stuff done. The Bodhisattvas... Practices are taught to be innumerable. Among them, surely first embrace the ways of purifying the mind. So, meditation, training, and awareness. Three times each day, three times at night, recite the sutra in three sections. Because of the Buddhas and Bodhicitta, this pacifies remaining downfalls. Um, 
I may put out an explanation later of what the sutras in three sections is. But again, this is instructions for monks. He's telling them every day they need to recite this three times. Whatever you do at any time, whether for your sake or others, make efforts to train in the precepts that have been taught for that situation. There's a long list of ethical rules in Buddhism that monks follow. And lay people too. There is not anything at all the victor's offspring should not learn. And for the wise who live like this, there's nothing that will not be merit. Do nothing but what benefits beings directly or indirectly. Dedicate solely for being's sakes everything to enlightenment. Even at the cost of your own life, never forsake the spiritual friend who's learned in the Mahayana and great in the Bodhisattva vow. Mahayana is the great vehicle of Buddhism that's founded in compassion and wisdom. And so he's saying... If people are on this path, you need to not forsake them. You need to rather befriend people that are on this path with you and be loyal to them and work together. The teamwork makes the dream work, right? Train in the ways to serve the guru. From the life story of Sri Sambhava, this and the Buddha's other teachings are to be learned by reading sutras. And I'll... Uh, I may do a, a thing where I explain the life story of Sri Sambhava a little bit later. Um, it's beyond what we're doing right now. Um, and actually, he's going to list various teachings that we should study. And some of them do not exist in English, unfortunately. <laughs> the precepts are described in them, so therefore you should read the sutras. As a beginning, you should read the sutra of Akashagarbha because it teaches in detail what must be practiced constantly. Over and over again, you should read the Compendium of Trainings, or else for the time being, read the shorter Compendium of Sutras, and also you should try to study the, the two by noble Nagarjuna. Um, Nagarjuna was a historical figure who uh, Shanti Deva really had a lot of respect and reverence toward, in the same way that I have a lot of respect and reverence toward Shanti Deva. So they, they didn't meet or anything, but he was... Shantideva thought of Nagarjuna as an important figure in his life, and I think of Shantideva as an important figure in mine. What those do not prohibit is the merit you should act upon, to guard the minds of worldly people, noting the precepts, act correctly. In brief, the characteristic of maintain maintaining awareness is just this. Examine over and over again the status of your mind and body. So that's that open awareness meditation practice. Just pay attention to what's happening. With body, I will practice these. What does just mouthing words achieve? Does merely reading medical books bring benefit to patients? So in that last part, he's saying like, we're not just studying these teachings. And if we get caught up just studying these teachings, it can, it can uh, get in the way of our practice. We have to do things. We have to try to manifest compassion in the world. We have to try to be more mindful and aware in our lives. That's the whole point. And if we're not doing that, then what are we doing, right? So that is it for today. This has been a long one. This has been the chapter called Guarding Awareness. So thank you for taking the time to listen to me and have a good day. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.